Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Welcome to another impactful night of the impact of educational leadership. This is episode 67. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone the Third. Tonight's panelists are Eric Coit. Mr. Coit, please say hello to the people. Hello, people. My name is Eric Cork. I'm from Houston, Texas. Looking forward to this call tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. And our next panelist is Delna Bryant. Delna Bryant, please say hello to the people. Good evening, one and all. I'm Delna Bryant, a teacher at Young Men's Leadership Academy in Dallas, ISD. Absolutely. Listen, we have a special, special treat for you on this episode. Um, this is going to be epic. This is going to be never before, and this is going to be something that you want to share and you want to spread uh, with all of your friends, all your family members, all the people that you care about, and the people that you admire. So with that being said, the topic tonight is, how do we teach our students to manage their emotions? An overwhelming amount of educators focus on how students think and how students behave, yet feelings are mostly overlooked. Most educators don't appreciate how essential emotions are to building the right learning cultures, the right learning settings, the right learning environments. They tend to focus on the cognitive structure, the shared intellectual values and norms and artifacts and assumptions that set the overall tone for how students think and behave at school. Though that's incredibly important, believe me, it is. However, the panelists tonight will show us, will teach us, will guide us that that is only one part of the story. There are other critical parts in the emotional culture which governs the feelings of our students, which guides the minds of our learners and how we express it to them will or will not give us a positive learning environment. Uh, our first guest uh, tonight that I want to pull from is the Honorable Delna Bryan. And uh, Ms. Bryan, I, I feel like tonight is going to be, I, I just feel like I'm in the kitchen. I feel like uh, I'm in the kitchen with two master chefs and you have your ingredients that you're, you're, you're bringing with you to this potluck. And Eric Cork has his ingredients that he's bringing to this potluck. I want to tell the listeners a little bit about you. Activist educational advocate, Delta Bryan, now in her 40th year 
40 year plus in teaching and educational consulting in the United States of America and chairs for the Political Action Committee, PAC for short, former vice president of NEA Dallas Teachers Affairs and the past president of NEA Dallas for education. Uh, educators and paraprofessionals. She served on two committees for the Delta Kappa Gamma International Scholarship Committee for the ULE Carter and on the Oversight for Human Resources Committee. She has a bachelor's degree from Anderson University, Indiana, where she was sent there on a scholarship. Matter of fact, I believe the first Martin Luther King scholarship to that university. She then went on to um, gain her master's degree from the University of Southern Mississippi, Hattiesburg. Uh, then from there, if <laughs> she wasn't done, she went to Granada, Spain, and she went on and grabbed her another master's of arts and teaching from the University of Granada, Spain. She has become the who's who's of American master teachers, and we have her here with us tonight, and we are so thrilled to have you here. Uh, before we get started, Donna, please tell the listener audience a little bit about what you're doing right now, currently. I'm currently the AP, pre-AP Spanish teacher at a middle school. This is a totally new handle for me because I have never taught middle school in my life before. I'm a high school teacher, and all of a sudden I was asked to go to that school to start the Spanish program. But it was an all-boys school. I was elated because I felt I was coming back around to complete the circle where I started. I started at an all-boys school at St. Augustine in New Orleans, and I was successful with all young men, so therefore I saw this as a challenge. It is quite interesting at the middle school level. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we thank you for that. You know, many teachers already think about their teaching and, and they talk to other colleagues um, about it as well. However, without uh, more time spent focused on discussing, you know, what is actually happening, like on every layer, every dynamic, like what's happening with with children's emotions when they come in every day because they change, right? And so my question for you, <clears throat> how do you encourage your students to manage their emotions, especially now with this COVID-19 pandemic, but managing their emotions while motivating them to learn and still, still shaping them to become our next world leaders? How do you do that? Because you discussed that with us. Well, I'm fortunate and blessed that we have 70 minutes of class. And sometimes I can divide it into two parts, or sometimes I divide it into three. Whether it's a two-part or a three-part class, there is always a part for me to find out how that child, in this case, how that young man, 
and I address them as Mr. So-and-so always, or Dr. So-and-so, because I let them know that is their title from now on, how are they really feeling? How are they really doing? And for some reason, I get to find out a lot about the child's emotions. Sometimes they're quite candid, and they let me know that they're not doing well because this is the first time they had seen their father distraught. And in the conversation, it comes out, the father lost a sibling, and this seventh grader had never seen the father react that way. Or another little one that told me about his uncle, who was on life support, oxygen, they might have to pull the plug. And from that day, I keep checking with the child, how is your uncle doing? I cannot teach those young men if I really don't know how they are doing emotionally. I can talk to them all I want about how to divide words into syllables, how to put accent marks on words, how to spell words that are homonyms in Spanish, how to decipher the word and know exactly what the word means because it's a cognate word and encourage them to know that they have a very rich vocabulary because most cognate words came into English from Latin and they came into Spanish from Latin and therefore, if they look at the word, they would see that there's a slightly different spelling. But the pronunciation might be also slightly different. That is called a cognate word. While in Spanish I say teléfono, the word in Spanish, English is telephone. The F is a PH. I can talk to them all I want about those things enriching their language. But if I don't know how that child is feeling to act and react in my class, it's a whole different ballgame. I also have to know not every Hispanic child in my class is of Mexican descent. I have to know how to reach out to my child from Honduras or my child from Nicaragua or my child from Guatemala. Couple weeks ago, they're learning about hurricane and hurricane seasons and all of a sudden, Eta and Iota destroyed Central America. How do I react to these students who have loved ones in these countries that were destroyed by these hurricanes? I need to know the whole child. I need to know. I'm not just teaching them about icons or building their language skills. I need to know their emotional feelings. Yes, you might be the next great 
Nobel Prize for Literature person. Octavio Paz was a great person in 1990 from Mexico who won a Nobel Prize for Literature. But how are you going to get there? I need to know how to get you there with your emotions. Yes, Oscar Arias Sanchez was the great Nobel Prize for Peace recipient from Costa Rica. But how do you get to be that Nobel Prize for Peace person if you don't know how to control your emotions, if you don't know how to share your emotions, if you don't know how to react on certain points? So for me, it is very crucial teaching them how to manage their emotions. And then I have a sprinkling of African-American students in my Spanish one, and they are treated differently because their emotions are different according to their environment. There are not rude and some people might say obnoxious in their behavior. If you treat them with kindness, if you treat them with love, if you explain what you are doing to them, they will understand, they will grasp what you're saying. They will tone down what they're doing in order to express themselves the way you would like them to express themselves. If they're going to be the future leaders, they have to know how to grow into that role. And that's what I'm there for. I see it as I'm planting some seeds. And I am watering those seeds. Those seeds will sprout and they will sprout into beautiful flowers with the love and the care that I give to them now. They will grow into splendor. Thank you. I always notice whenever you speak, I gain new literary terms. Listening to you speak is like reading a dictionary. I, I want to thank you for that first. I want to thank you for that time that you have spent to learn such vernaculars and vocabulary and terms. And, and it's tedious to, to get that type of knowledge. Tonight, you talked about, for me, the human spirit. You talked about the human spirit because there are some human spirits that are lost. There are some souls that are lost. And just because you're lost does not mean you cannot be found. But what do you do? What do you do when you find those lost souls? You talked about, for me, transforming them. And you talked about you look at the time, you look at your lesson plan, and you use time management skills to transform them piece by piece by piece. 
I think you said that you 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 plant seeds and then you water them and then you watch them grow and and as you're watching these seeds grow they become titles and they these titles become positions and these positions control these emotions and these feelings and then it puts them into a different realm it puts them into a physical realm uh, of them feeling confident about who they are and who they represent and it puts them into a spiritual realm where they can communicate with their inner being. I like the way you tied it in. I like those ingredients that you brought. And, you know, that is why, uh, you know, we had to bring this next panelist in because he is a expert communicator. And that is Mr. Eric Cork. Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Eric Cork. Uh, Mr. Eric Cork is, is called the hardest working man in education. In schools from coast to coast, Cork's coast to coast classroom entitled Rebuilding the Writing Foundation Workshop has hit America by storm. Mr. Cork once served as a guest faculty member for Howard University's Graduate School of Education Summer Principals Institute, attended by some of America's premier principals. Mr. Cork has showcased the dynamic strategies of his innovative writing workshop to thousands upon thousands of people in numerous universities to include Yale, San Francisco State, Rice University, Texas Southern, Tuskegee University, DePaul, LSU, even St. John's, Florida State University, Baylor, and the University of California, Riverside, where he worked with PhD candidates and college freshmen. Mr. Mr. Court, we're so glad to have you here again. Could you tell listen audience a little bit about what you're doing now? Well, what I'm doing right now is listening to you and listening to Dr. Brian <laughs> and being enthralled. Um, what I'm to answer your question, I am working in my garage <laughs> right now building vessels for my vision and had to reinvent what I do because I do assembly programs with students. And so when COVID hit in March, the very last workshop I did was at uh, Dr. Brian's school and your school with the Young Men's Academy. And that was the last workshop. And after I drove back to Houston, I haven't presented a workshop since then. And it's December. And so what I'm doing is reinventing and getting ready to do a launch that is going to be unprecedented. And so I've been building the vessels in my garage, just like the woman who um, went and got the vessels on Isaiah. I mean, when uh, Elijah came through and she said she was going to eat the cake and die, and after she was obedient and did what the prophet told her to do, he said, go get all the vases, all the bowls, <laughs> everything you can get and um, and the oil started pouring and it all didn't stop until she ran out of vessels so i've been building in my garage for uh new books that are coming out new products and merchandise and new innovations that i have coming out but i have to have the capacity to receive whatever god is about to do and so i'm acting on that faith and that's what i'm doing right now and 
um, I'm, I'm pretty straightforward when you say what am I doing I answered like to the moment in terms of what I'm doing right now um, in terms of uh, highlighting what the things you mentioned you said Howard University is actually I was a guest faculty for Harvard University, not Howard. And so I said, Howard, I, went, I spoke at the Kennedy Center in D.C., but uh, there were some people from Howard there. So what I do is actually a assembly program. When the students walk in, to they get off the bus at 8 o'clock and when school starts, at, and then they come and see me about 8.30, and they stay all the way until it's time for them to get on the bus. Six and a half hours, and they write, and they say, this is going to be the most boring day ever, and and my goal is to flip that whole script and have them say that this is the best day of school they ever had in their life. And so if I could just kind of summarize, um, when, I, when, you, when you wanted to talk about this, um, I said, you know, the whole heading, the whole first thing that came to me was the saying that children may not remember what you taught them, but they will always remember the way you made them feel. So when Dr. Bryan was talking, that was confirmation. Because that's what she talked about. She talked about the children who were devastated by the hurricanes and things like that. And so she had to relate to them as human beings first because you're not teaching a lesson plan. You're not teaching a state curriculum. You're not teaching the guidelines, the standards of the STAR test or whatever you're teaching. You're teaching another human being. And so she beautifully illustrated that. So in terms of what I do and what I'm doing right now, it is relaunching um, my brand in terms of um, I'm a writer. And so I, I write all the time on Facebook. If you follow me, I, I, I do just kind of encourage and uplift people and pour into people and treat other people the way I wanted to be treated, especially young entrepreneurs, because I've been doing I've been self-employed for 24 straight years, almost 30, really. But um, at my own company, so I don't have the benefits of a job or you know medical insurance, like paid for by a job or dental. Or so I don't work, I don't eat, <laughs> straight up. And so, in terms of the livelihood, my writing is, I, you know, like the, the musicians say, I live off my acts. <laughs> you know, it's like um, my words actually pay the bills. And so what I do is um, I have a workbook, and I think I've sold about over 200,000 copies um, with the books, and I've worked with half a million, a uh, quarter of a million students um, around the country. Um, and they come in, and I'm one of the very few on the planet who will, I don't do a one-hour motivational speech. I come in, and I keep the kids six hours straight. And some people have trouble disciplining or keeping the kids focused or keeping their attention for 30 minutes or an hour. And they come in, and I have 500 students in an auditorium or in a cafeteria in the gym, and for six hours, only two students asked to go use the restroom all day. In six hours, two students. And then when they do, they run because they're scared they're going to miss something. So when I walk in, that's the atmosphere that I try to set. You know, in terms of what I do, and I'm, te and I'm dealing with English language arts. So that's why I enjoyed uh, Dr. Bryan when she was talking to the eloquence of how she speaks and things like that. I said, am I on the right panel? I shouldn't be on the show with her tonight because this woman is so articulate. <laughs> so I hope I answered that question.
in terms of what oh, I did. you did. You did. You, you absolutely did. And, and, and every time I, I speak with you and, and I'm, you know, in a conversation with you, they're, they're never short. We never, ever have a, a short uh, conversation. They're always, they're always good. It's always like uh, sitting at a table and, and eating a meal, a soul food meal. And, and, it, and it puts me in a place, uh, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this before, but it, put, it puts me in a place, not just humility, because that's too easy. That's too easy to say it puts me in a humble place. But it puts me in a place of knowing how beautiful God is because he designed all of his children differently. And this is why it's so important that we, you know, we stay in our lanes, we know our gifts, and we respect others' uh, gifts because they are um, immaculate because God created us to be in the image of him. So uh, that's, that's why I love this uh, panel tonight because everyone uh, has their own ingredients, their own bag, their own uh, table of food uh, to, to bring to this, to this dinner table, to, to this potluck uh, for everyone to enjoy every, uh, if you will, morsel, every crumb of it. And I know uh, this question is tailor-made for you, uh, the one that I'm about to ask you, because many times, um, you know, effective teachers always reflect on their lessons and on their lesson outcomes. You just heard one of, of the greats speak uh, before you. And so we, we try to listen to uh, the, the, teacher ref, uh, the teacher's reflections about their lesson. And, and we do it so we can compare notes, so we can kind of, you know, compare their responses uh, to what we have, you know, written down in our, in our, in our brains or on, on a notepad, you know, from our, our observation. And so, you know, I've seen, I've literally seen you in real time at work, and I've seen you with some uh, children that would be labeled as challenging. And I've seen how these young men sat down and were focused on every move that you made and on every word that came out of your mouth. And so, you know, that's a gift. And I know it probably took some time to cultivate that gift and, and, and get it polished to where it is now, but my question for you, could you describe to the listening audience some of the ways uh, emotional culture has made you successful at work in the form of joy, compassionate love, and fear, and the impact that it can have a range of diverse settings? That's my question. Wow, that's like five questions in the middle of one question. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can, let me see if I can tackle this. That was okay. Let me see if I heard this right. Okay, what makes me successful at work? Um, let me see. Successful, you said about joy. I heard you say the form of joy, compassionate love. Is that what you said? And fear and the fear of impact they can have on the long range of settings. Okay. I may not have quoted you right, but that's your question. I just want to make sure that I'm, I stick to the subject. What makes me successful at work is, uh, according to the principals who hire me, or the superintendent or school board, whoever brings me in, and what they want to see is the impact on test scores. That's what they look at. They look at the data. And so I go in, and uh, one school, I went in only, um, I think it was, 
only 16% of the students passed. The very next year, they went to a perfect 100 on the state test, and that sort of put me on the map. They, they retested the kids. They thought they cheated, and they just mastered it, and only, um, I think it was 10% mastered the objectives, and they went from 10% to 84% who matched the objective. So everything that I do is back up with data and the outcomes. And if there are principals and superintendents, school board members listening right now, that's what they look for. So what's going to be the bang for our book? You know, when we come in, will we see any results? And that's what, that's what, that's how they define success. The way I define success is when I get emails and inbox messages from former students 20 years later saying that it was the best day of school they ever had in their life. And these kids are in their 30s now and with their own children. And they'll go back and say, oh, my God, that was a, when you used to come to the school, that used to be the best day everybody looked forward to. And these are third graders, fourth graders, middle school, high school students, even college students that I work with. And so to me, that's how I sort of define success um, in terms of the long-range um, impact that they have and they still use the material, they still use the strategies and techniques that I give them when it comes to writing one, um, my former students is a principal and he teaches it to his entire school when they walk in, that's the culture. He calls it the air court culture on his campus, you know, and, and I go in and they say, you, you taught him when he was in school? He said, yeah, I tells you how old I am. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting up there. So uh, the next question you asked was uh, joy. I think in the form of joy, the what I try to do is change the atmosphere when I walk in. Um, if, and I know that I, I am the one that all eyes will be on me, so it revolves around whether I'm able to be successful in creating a give and take where everything is not all about me. I'm there to impact the students, so it's really about them. So I go into their world, and the very first question I ask is I say, raise your hands if you're not here yet. And they go, what? Raise your hand. I said, raise your hands if you're not here yet. So you get some smart. Like, How am I going to raise my hand if I'm if I'm not here? I'm going to raise my hand. So they and they get it. And so then I'll start cracking jokes, and they start they'll start laughing, and they'll say, oh, this is going to be fun. So the first thing you want to do is is address their humanity, go into their culture because it's not about me; it's about them. So you want to create an atmosphere of joy when they walk in because that when they are looking forward to the work and I tell them if it gets hard or if it gets difficult that means I messed up because I'll bring an easy button like they have at Staples uh, office uh, store and I'll say you know I'll push the button I say my job is to make it easy if it becomes complicated or difficult that means I messed up because I'm not here to show you how much I know that's not my job my job is to show you how smart you are because education is different from indoctrination. What I try to do is educate, which means I show them how smart they are. I show them how brilliant they are, how intelligent they are, how talented they are. And they're walking on cloud. Now, I didn't even know I could do this. Oh, my God. And so you're showing them their capability. You're showing them their potential. And I'm, I, I walk in, and I consider myself to be a big mirror. And I want them to see that everything that I'm doing, that they can do it as well. And the next thing I think you asked was compassionate love. And wisdom, well, the love starts with, with me loving what I do. If there are people who work on jobs. They hate going to the job every day, and you can tell. But a person who loves doing what they do, and if I hit the lottery, I will still do this for a living because I love to write, and I love to talk about writing, and I love working with children. 
to help them find their voice and discover their voice. And so when they walk in and they see this is something that I love, that, that, that comes across as genuine and authentic or what they say is organic when I walk in. So um, I just give you an example of love. Once there was a, I would give the, um, the information, I would give definitions, I would talk about terminology and whatnot, and then I would do a review. Well, all the kids knew all the answers. I would give them five things to do to score a perfect score on the state test. And, and they would stick to the topic of well-elaborated, very word choices, and blah, blah, blah. They would name all these things. Well, one girl had her hand in the air, and I walked up to her. And when I got there, she was on the microphone. And so she got brain freeze. She could think, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Come back to me. I said, no, these were, uh, these were fourth graders. So she was 10 years old. And so... I said, no, girl, you can do this. Come on, I'm not going to tell you the answer, you, but I'll give you some clues. She said, no, 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 please, please, go to somebody else, go to somebody else, because she felt the pressure of all the eyes, all of her friends, and all the hands going up all around her trying to get the answer. I said, no, you can get this, girl, you can get this. And so I would give her clues, but I wouldn't give her the answer. And so everybody was like, please, please, call on me, call on me. She said, go, call on somebody else, call on somebody else. And I said, you can do it. So I, and I, I triggered different things in her brain to remind her. Well, finally, she came up with the answer, and all the hands went down after she got it. And, boy, she started smiling, and she was just so proud of herself. And the reason I'm sharing this story with you is because of my reaction. When I was talking to her and I was explaining things to her, I said these words, and they came out of my mouth, like you said about tonight being anointed, um, because I don't have a... I don't have anything written down. I'm just going with the flow tonight. So I just looked at that girl, and I said, you know what? Look at me. If you don't remember anything else in this workshop, I want you to remember this, that I don't want you to give up on yourself because I would never give up on you. So don't give up on yourself. And I looked at her right in the eyes, and I said that. But when the words came out of my mouth, the, my eyes watered up, and I just started crying right there on the spot in front of all the kids. Because I actually heard the mission and the calling and the purpose of my life when I looked at that girl and I said that. And so we talk about emotions. You know, when they saw that transparency for me, they knew that I was very sincere and I wasn't there for a paycheck. I'm there to actually impact your life and to show you that this is a moment that I am sharing with you. So everybody in the room felt that love. That was going on, and I was at another school, and I was doing a residency, and there was a girl, um, these were fourth graders as well, but she was, she was um, taller than the other kids and bigger than all the other kids. Well, <laughs> tell you this story. I, I try to say this story without getting emotional because I think I just knew that tonight that's what that was going to be about, emotional leadership episode. Um, well, this girl's name's Esther, and so I went home that day. They all wrote their first paper for me, and I remember this like it was yesterday, but it was like over 25 years ago. I, I was sitting in my couch, and I'm reading these papers, and I jumped up off of the couch from one paper that I was reading by this girl named Esther. And I didn't know the kids. I didn't associate the names with the faces, and so the words that she used, the way she phrased her sentences for a 10-year-old was phenomenal. 
I was like, oh, my God. So I was passing out the papers when I went back to the school, giving them my critiques and praise and what I liked about their papers and and what I enjoyed about what they, you know, had to say in their stories. I would give the comments, and they loved those feed, that feedback that I would give them like that. Well, at the end, I saved Esther's paper for last. And I said, okay, um, who is Esther? Godfrey, that was her name. And all the kids started laughing. Ah, Esther puts her head down on the table, on her desk, like, oh, not you too. You're not going to laugh at me too, because all the kids would make fun of her because she was very poor. She would wear the same clothes over again, and sometimes she would skip school. And you know, this is a tenth grader who was going back home, you know, sitting in the house, and you know, because she felt like her clothes weren't good enough, her hair, she was heavy set, and all the kids would make fun of her. Well. I didn't know all this dynamic in the culture of the whole classroom in the school. I went over there by her, and I knelt down beside her, and I looked at her. I said, look at me. I read your paper. I sat up on the couch, and I hollered. This was amazing. I've never read a paper like this before by a 10-year-old. Girl, you are phenomenal. And I'm looking at her, and she can see her face lighting up. And I looked around the room. All the other kids had their mouth open. Like, what? Like, they didn't know that about her. And so what would happen was she would say, yeah, I write all the time. And so we got this conversation. So whenever, make a long story short, when they were turning papers, everybody knew I would make out over this girl and her writing. And she, so she would just show out. And so um, funny thing happened. I was in the classroom, and the principal comes over the loudspeaker and says, Mr. Cork, we need you to come to the office um, when you get a moment, please. After this search, and I said, oh, okay. And I get there, and Esther's mother is in the office. And she says, I heard Eric Cork is going to be at school, and I need to speak with you. Uh, I need to just find out who you are, because I don't know what you said to my daughter, but this girl wakes up in the morning now before me, getting ready for school. And she can't wait to write you have lit a fire in this girl. She goes in her room and she writes for hours. And she was not only not skipping school anymore, but she went from low performing to the honor roll immediately, straight A's on everything. She said she was waking up, ironing her clothes, and she took pride in herself and doing this. And so the girl, you know, years later, I found out I was working at another school and the mother of one of the girls who was in that classroom with her said, yeah, I remember you when you came and taught at um, the elementary school. And so the girl's name was Charisma, and that Charisma and Esther were good friends. And I said, whatever happened to uh, Esther? He said, oh, you haven't heard about Esther? I said, no, what do you mean? Now she's in high school as a ninth grader. This was, what, six years later? And he said, this girl is unstoppable. She became the editor of the school newspaper as a sophomore, and that job was reserved for seniors. So she said, I'm, she said, she spent her whole life, I'm going to be like Eric Cork, I'm going to be a professional writer, a writer. From that moment in fourth grade, this girl took her talent of writing, and then she became the editor of the school newspaper, and Lord knows what she's doing right now, even with her life, just from that one moment. So you talk about the impact of love. And doing those things like that and kind of give you experience. That's how I think that's the best way for me to answer that question. And as far as fear, 
um, goes. I've, I've always said to teachers when I do professional development um, for entire staffs at schools, we have to hold a child's hand and beckon them and bring them to where we want them to go and walk with them instead of just beckoning them, telling them to come to us, expecting them to know, because what happens is um, the ninth grade teachers or the tenth grade teachers, you know, they get their first writing sample back and they find out, oh, my God, they fear for their scores, their test scores. And they go, they ask the ninth grade teacher, did you go over this with them last year? Because... This, they said, you didn't go over this. It's like they've never seen it before. Well, who did the ninth grade teachers blank? The eighth grade teachers. Who did the eighth grade teachers blank? The seventh grade teachers. Let's back this up. Who did the fifth grade teachers blank? The fourth grade teachers. You see, so everybody feels like, you know, that somebody could have built the foundation so they can come in and teach, and teachers are frustrated because they can't, cannot, cannot teach on a grade level appropriate curriculum because they feel like they have to reteach something the students should have learned two years ago. So that's why I come in and reestablish that foundation and, and try to accelerate where that, and fill in all those gaps where the students are weak and make those areas of strength before I leave out of the building that day. Just that quick, do a miracle metamorphosis on that campus, inspiring their attitude when it comes to literacy and writing and finding their voice and using it in a unique way that is powerful. And so that's what I do. I just, I just hold them by the hand. I say, I'm going to do the work with you. That's how you alleviate the fear. You do the work with them. And so they see me working on the screen, and I have a, um, the Elmo, and I'm using it on the screen. They see me writing with them, and they're going along. And I remember I said, if it, comes, if it becomes too difficult, I messed up. My job is to make it easy. So if there's a question, let's, go, let's answer it right now. And they feel that trust, that back and forth with me and that energy. That's why the boys at your campus, that's when they saw that, because the first time it gets difficult, they want to clown. And so I made it so easy. They were going, oh, wait a minute, hold on, I can keep up. Okay, this is easy. Okay, I got this, I got this. Next thing you know, they're learning. They're immersed without them even thinking about it. And it's almost like when you're teaching someone to swim or you're pushing them on a bicycle, they think you're holding a bike. Next thing you know, they look, they look around, and they're 20, 30 feet away from you. Oh, I'm riding. Oh, my God, that feeling. Imagine that feeling. Remember that feeling when you were little, when you looked around and you were riding a bicycle by yourself. That's the impact that a teacher should have on the campus when they're walking in, when that child looks up and goes, oh, my God, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it by myself. Oh, my God, I got this. That's the joy. That's the passion. That's what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to instill in a child when they're walking in. That's the confidence. And so that eliminates fear. You don't have time to be fearful because you're so elated that you got it. That, remember I told you about education is showing them the brilliance. It's calling out of them what's already there. You're not putting new information in their head. You're showing them how to use what they already have. And then when they do that and feel comfortable with that, then you can add something else. So that's how I, I dealt with joy love and dealing with fear and so i hope i didn't take too long answering that question but those are things off the top of my head listen preacher teacher reacher <laughs> that was awesome you know and i'm not going to talk long about it because i would i would do it uh, injustice i would totally slaughter it what you just said uh, but one thing that I grabbed from that was when a child is lost, we have to go find them and show them who they are. 
And then once we show them who they are, let them, let them go. Let them flow. And I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, you know, I'm going to, that's, those are one of those things where you just go back and you just listen to it over and over again and just grab something out of that. That's what that was. So we thank you. We thank you. And, and with that being said, because uh, we're almost out of time, let's talk about some takeaways tonight. Um, but I want to ask the question uh, first to Donald Donald Bryan, and that question is: What what has experience? What has what has? Hello. Go ahead. <coughs> yes. I'm listening. What has yes? What has experience showed you? about managing your emotions in diverse settings? What has experience chosen me in managing my emotions? First of all, I need to check my emotions at the door. In diverse settings, I can come off a bit as Aggressive. In diverse settings, I can come off as blunt, but that's not what I am there for. I'm in a school and I need to check my emotions in order to bring this young scholar along. I need to help that young scholar be who he or she can be, the best they can be. We have, it depends on the vocabulary, supposedly women have more words if you do the research and you read all the research, sometimes men use 7,000 words a day. Women might use 20,000. But I need to teach my young people in diverse settings that they need to use whatever words they need to use to get their point across. We need to express our emotions and we need to express it clearly. Whether they're angry or whether they're bringing a different experience from home, they're sad, or whatever the emotion is. I am female, and I am teaching young males. I cannot go half-stepping. I need to cut to the chase and help them with their gender achieve what they need 
to achieve. Because some of this that they're learning now in middle school, it's going to take them through adulthood. And if they put the proper or the number of words in to express their emotions and take it on through adulthood, I don't need to do a whole bunch of rigmarole. I need to cut to the chase. And help them develop to be the young adults that they're supposed to be. We hugged and talked about how well they did this football season. I need to convey that they can show that emotion, they can show that elation, they can show that happiness. They're not going to be afraid because it will be taken care of. There's a brighter tomorrow. Somebody talk about there being a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. When all this is over, they will be able to deal with healthy emotions. They will be able to deal with healthy relationships. And all because I modeled it for them. How do you manage your emotions in diverse settings? One of the ways is by being uniquely you. Don't be afraid of showing who you are. We will achieve what we need to achieve. And all we have to do is help our students learn and grow. Growth is what we are wanting them to achieve. Mr. John? You know, this has turned into a master's class. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving this. I'm loving it so much. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're about out of time, and I, I just, I, I got time to ask one more question. And I want to thank uh, each of you panelists for being here tonight and for helping so many people because this is going to help, this is going to minister to so many people. It's going to help them so, so dramatically. And it's going to be so crucial for them uh, to transition into 2021 and beyond. Um, with that being said, uh, this last question is for Mr. Eric uh, Court. And that is, you know, how, how have you used, because you, you are extremely uh, talented. And so how do you use your talent to connect with people? That's my question. Oh, talent. Well, writing, singing. Um, the, the kids think I'm a comedian. They think, are you a comedian? Because I'm laughing. I think um, to answer that question succinctly, because you are out of time, so I'm, I'm going to try to re really respect this and make this 60 seconds. Um, you know, you have to assess my talent for being able to size up a room is becoming more and more valuable and more appreciated by me the older I get. You know, you have to be able to walk in and feel the energy. 
of a room, uh, the relationship between the teachers and the students, between the principal and the students. When they walk in, sometimes it's very friendly, sometimes it's cordial, sometimes it's sort of standoffish. And I have to uh, learn when to be the go-between so they can actually see it because sometimes the principal has low expectations of those students or sometimes they have extremely high expectations. And you walk in and you you know how to address uh, the students according to your tone of voice, uh, according to how much laughter, how much seriousness needs to be displayed. So when I think the talent that I'll... Um, that you, since you use the word talent, I would say being able to fill the room. You know, when you walk in, um, feeling the energy and seeing how, what direction you want to take it to, or, or is it something that you want to join in with, or is it something that needs to be changed? Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just ride that wave that's right there because they've already established a culture of excellence on that campus, a culture of high expectations, then you just want to um, go with that flow. But if there is a, uh, a need for to break the tension and to bring healing there, that's a talent as well. You know, to be able to go and become a bridge and let them know today is going to be different than what you're used to. If you hate school, today you're going to love school. And, you know, I get all kind of messages from teachers saying, since you left, you know, the kids look at me totally different now. They look at me as a human being now. And and you create this joy and this love when I leave. And I, I want to leave a residue of excellence after I leave that campus. So that's, uh, I guess, a talent that I've learned how to cultivate and I'm always trying to get better at it, so I feel like I'm always in a learning experience myself. And so I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to share with you tonight, and I always enjoy talking to you. I enjoy spending time with you. Your your instant assessments of what's being said is, is very fascinating. It's, it's like after I say it, I just sit back like a little kid and go, okay, what is Mr. Jerome, what is he going to comment now? What is he going to say? Because he's listening. I feel, I, I feel you taking notes the whole time your panelists are talking so the way you come back and your listening skills, that's a talent. So let's talk about the talent that you bring to this forum, to this platform, sir. And your talent is bringing the best panelists you see available to address that subject. That's a gift. And so I'm always honored uh, when I'm able to share with you and, and to break bread with you. So thank you for using your talent to reach the masses, and thank you for inviting me. And uh, Dr. Bryant, it was an honor to be on this show with you tonight. Thank you. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. And I concur with you. The way he can synthesize, take what you say and synthesize it, exactly what you have said is amazing. He's a great listener. <laughs> and he brings summary. Speaking of summary, this man is trying to bring this show to a conclusion. So I'm going to be quiet and let him make his final remarks and give his benediction. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love you guys. You know, my, my one word is love. You know, when you, when you use love, when you hear with your heart, you can hear the emotions of everyone that you're in the environment with. And so tonight, 
I heard you the best that I could because of my heart and how my heart listens to the words that you were saying. And um, I try to write those words in my heart the best of my ability. And this was another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 67. Can you believe that? Our panelists tonight were the incomparable Mr. Eric Cork and the Honorable Miss Delna Bryan. Good night. Good night. Night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting.